Lord, we come again thanking you for this time. Lord, you have prepared a powerful word this morning. You have given it in goodness and in grace, but you gave it knowing, Lord, that it will hit a mark. That there are lives this morning who need to hear. And I know, Lord, there are lives that have been hiding things for a long time, hiding things that are deep. You've come this morning, Lord, to expose those. You've come this morning to touch those so that there can be healing and restoration. That lives can be truly changed and disciples made according to your instruction. So, Lord, we just speak power over these words. I just pray, Lord, that it would be you that speaks them. Just block me out of the way. Use my mouth to speak with and use my heart to love with this morning as this message is told. It's a life-changing one. And I pray, Lord, that it will be received fully and completely into those dark and very private places within individual hearts. So thank you, Lord, for being here this morning and already beginning to work in all the places and creating the openness around these hearts. And we speak it in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the last many weeks, and I don't even know how many it's been now, I have been speaking on Wednesday night out of the book of Revelation. And for the last few weeks, particularly Revelation 4 and 5. And to me, one of the most beautiful things that happens within those chapters is when the angels and when the living creatures and the 24 elders recognize Jesus as the one who has been slain, the one who is worthy to take the scroll and open it, and they see him, and they begin to fall before him and singing, Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy, O God. Thou art worthy as the Lamb of God. You are worthy. And, and they begin to sing these praises to God. Praises to Jesus. And I can only imagine, as our time reveals all this, that we too are part of that and singing those praises before God. It's amazing to me and overwhelming as we read it. But I want to say something else this morning about those same words, thou art worthy. I want you to know without any question or any doubt that Jesus also says about you, you are worthy. He wants you to know that you are worthy. He wants you to know how he feels about you. He wants us to know how he feels about us. He wants to tell that to the ones who are the most broken. He wants to tell that you are worthy to the worst sinner. He wants to tell you that you are worthy to the one who has the greatest and the deepest and the most secrets. To those of you who are sitting here this morning with the worst addictions, he wants to tell you that you are worthy. Now we know this. We understand it for those who have said no before. For those who've refused to consider their own sin, for those who have loved other things more than they have loved God, it doesn't change his mind. He finds you to be worthy. He values you. I want to tell you this. It may sound very simple, but the teaching of the Christian world has been for a long time, yes, that Jesus loved us enough to give himself for us, but that God himself hasn't ever thought much of us. As a matter of fact, we consider most of the time that he's frustrated with us, disappointed in us, expecting what we haven't delivered and wringing his hands, wondering when we're going to get it right. I want to assure you that is not the heart. That is not the nature of the God I love and serve. That is not him. 
That is not what he feels about you. He values you. We know this on a certain level because we do know that that there was no greater statement of value than that Jesus loved us enough that he gave himself for us to become sin for us, that the consequence and the payment of our sin would be made. But I want to show you something else this morning. I hope this really hits home with many of us. Let's go to John chapter 4. I'm going to read much of this chapter. I'll begin reading with verse 5. This is a story that we have taught backward and forward and forward and backward. And I want to tell you until last night and in this study, I have missed something. And I want to tell you it is huge what I have missed. It will change forever the reality of this story. Verse 5, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Zachar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. For the disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knew the gift of God, and who it is that says to you, Give me to drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence thou hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Jesus said unto her, Go, call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that thou said thou this truly. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour comes and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said unto him, I know that Messiah comes, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man which told me all the things that I ever did, is not this the Christ? The woman who came to this well on this particular day had several things against her. First of all, she was a woman. Second of all, she was a Samaritan. 
And most likely she was a woman who had been scorned. She came to the well with many things against her. Now I want you at this point to begin to consider the truth of this passage. Because some of you sitting here, especially those of us who go out and all of us are ministers, and you will meet people every day in the streets. You'll meet them in your offices. You'll meet them wherever you go, and they will believe that they have come to a well with many things against them. They will see their struggles. They will see their perception of themselves. They will see their weaknesses. They will see their addictions, and they will see themselves very much as this woman was coming to the well with many things against her. I think it's tragic, but absolutely true that even within the Christian world, most Christians still see themselves with things that God's holding against them. She was amazed that Jesus was speaking to her because she was a Samaritan. In verse 9, it says, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritan. So the woman was shocked and surprised or amazed that Jesus was talking to a Samaritan. When the disciples got back, they were amazed that Jesus was talking to a woman. Each one of those things surprising. That Jesus as a Jew would talk to a Samaritan and that Jesus as a man would even talk to a woman. I want to tell you, I meet this woman in my office fairly often. These are the men and women who come to my office. This is their story, who have many things against them. A great deal of brokenness, broken hearts, broken lives, a broken perception of themselves. So I meet this woman fairly often in my office. Again, I meet the male counterpart equally so. They share one common characteristic with this woman. She was determined, under the assumption that this man would have nothing to do with her, she put up her guard and rejected him before he could reject her. She came to the well, and when she saw him, she expected Jesus to reject her, because that's what had always happened. And because of that, she did what we all also do, is we will reject before we get rejected. And that's exactly what she said when Jesus said, give me a drink. Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Immediately that guard came up. Immediately, because of him being a man, she recognized that he was a Jew. Immediately the guard came up, because if I can just reject you first, then you won't have a chance to reject me. I'll get the upper hand. And I want to tell you that is what this woman did. She is too human. She is too much within this story to have acted any other way. To believe that there was something else going on would be a bit naive on our part. Why would she immediately defend herself? Because when you are certain of rejection, and I'm sorry to say this is the person that comes to my office. A story of rejection is a story that penetrates life after life after life, story after story after story, people who have been rejected. All that others had done to her, all that others had said of her was present in this moment. All of her history, everything that anybody had said about her that would hurt her was present in the defense of this moment. She was going to defend herself because everybody else's hurt was present in this moment. Every voice that says, I don't care. Every angry word spoken to her was captured in this moment. So again, what does she expect? And what does she already know? That Jesus will do the same. So let's take a look for just a second at this portion of the passage. Go with me back down to verse 15. 
The woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And Jesus said unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and says, I have no husband. And Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that said thou truly. And the woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. I have believed and preached all of my preaching life and teaching life that what Jesus was having this woman do was to confront her sin to confront this lifestyle that, that she had chosen and that there would be no great change in her until this sin was dealt with. Jesus had to call it out. He had to bring it to the surface so that that sin could be dealt with so that once the sin could be dealt with, this woman could enter in to what he had waiting for her. But I know now that he is not exposing her but rather confronting her with something else that would keep her from accepting the water that he wanted to offer her. There's another story of a woman who was caught in adultery and brought before Jesus and thrown at his feet. And the Pharisees who brought her says, the law of Moses says that we can stone her. What do you say? They didn't care about the woman. They were trying to trick Jesus. And we know the story. He was drawing in the sand. I think probably, as I've heard recently, waiting on the Father to show him to give him the words that he was supposed to speak. And he does. And he says, let he who is without sin come throw the first stone at her. And it says from the eldest to the youngest, they all left. And there he is, maybe with the disciples, but he's alone with this woman. And I notice in this passage that he does not have to bring her sin to the surface. He doesn't have to get her to say, you know, what have you done? Who have you been with? What is your story? He doesn't have to do that with her. And I notice in story after story in the scripture, even in the parable, when the father sees the son coming home, he has no review of the sin that the sons have committed. He didn't say, where were you? Where did you waste the money? Who were you with? There was no review of that story that had happened before. So why in this one? Why in this one would Jesus need to bring her sin to the top of the table so that we could read about it, we could understand it? It's because that's not what it was happening at all. There's one interesting fact about this that will bring great clarity to this. Did you know in that day that only a man could divorce a woman and a woman could never divorce a man? What was happening here? What was he dealing with? He was dealing with her rejection, not her sin. He said, you've been rejected five times. And the man you're living with right now is rejecting you as well. What happened in this story? What stunned her? That Jesus would talk with her. That Jesus in this was doing something so drastically and dynamically different. Because he knew that her feelings of rejection would stop her from receiving this living water. He wasn't worried about her sin. Her sin had already been overcome. But he knew that in her mind she had been rejected. What did those five husbands mean? You know, it was, she was living in a culture, very strange information. In that culture, not only was it only allowable for men to divorce women, and they could do it basically for any reason. One of the more interesting things I read as I came across this was that the divorce rate then was higher than the divorce rate now. Jesus came to change all that because he's saying that's not how we treat women. This is how we treat them. This is how we value people. There is a great difference in this. She had been divorced. The current man wouldn't marry her. But in that culture, women were largely thrown away had no value, very little value in that culture. They couldn't vote. 
They couldn't be a witness in a courtroom because the basic presumption of women was that they are all liars. You can't put them in a courtroom because they won't tell the truth. They weren't allowed to own property. So this was the culture that Jesus had stepped into. Look what he was changing when he started this conversation with this woman. So what happened when Jesus said to her, give me this drink of water? What happened is in this moment, Jesus was said, said, I see you. He said, I value you. You matter to me. You matter to my father. I care for you and I care about you and I love you. And he was determined to make sure that that message replaced the message of rejection. He's determined this morning to replace in you any message that you have received about yourself, that you're not good enough, that you're not enough, or that you're not worthy, or that you're not valued, or that you're not important. I promise you this morning, he has come to replace that message in you with a message that says, I see you and I value you. I want to tell you how severe this was. It was against the law for a man or anyone to teach a woman the things of God, to teach her the things that were written down by the Pharisees and Sadducees. It was against the law for them to learn from the Torah or the Talmud. Against the law. There would be no priest. There would be no teacher. There would be no man who would share with her the things that Jesus was telling her. I want to tell you, he not only saw her, he elevated her in this position of importance because he knew and he was going to tell them and he's going to tell us that this is the way that I value you. Not by the measure of your brokenness, not by the measure of your disappointment, not by the addictions or the struggles. I see you, I value you, and I don't care who has rejected you. I don't care how many voices there are in that rejection. I don't care how much culture there is built into that rejection. I will not hear it. I will not receive it because as Jesus, he was telling her, I see you and I love you and you matter. You're worth my time. You're worth my interest. You're worth my truth. You're worth this salvation. And a true connection was made with someone who values us more than anything else. And he says to her, if you will listen, if you'll hear me, if you will receive, your life will be changed forever. How many of us are still living with messages in our head, messages in our heart, connected to voices from our past that are still reminding us daily, you're not enough, you're not good enough, you don't work hard enough, you don't try hard enough, you're to this or you're to this, and, we, and those voices are still there. Those messages are still coming. And Jesus is saying, I'll tell you today, those messages and your willingness to hear them, I have come to set you free. I have come to end those voices. If you'll receive it, if you'll hear it, I've come to do it. He's offering her freedom from her brokenness, salvation from death, offering her acceptance for her rejection, offering her love for the hatred and the bitterness that she had been shown. And I want us to take a look at just one more simple thing. In verse 27, it says, And upon this came his disciples. So they walk up on this, and marvel that he talked with the woman, yet no man said, Why seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? Verse 31, In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto him, I have meat to eat that you know not of. 
I want to tell you, he was not for a moment going to end what was important in front of him with this woman to deal with some of the foolishness that his disciples came up with. He was telling them, this is the value of the people that we minister to. This is the value of these women. This is the value of those male counterparts who feel exactly like them about that about themselves, rejected themselves, told that they're not enough, assured by their fathers and mothers that they're a disappointment. And I want to tell you this morning that when we recognize within this story that it wasn't her sin that he was dealing with, it was her rejection that he was dealing with so that she could accept the fullness of what he wanted to give her. Why would he do it? Because he knows that it's our rejection. He knows that it's those things held within our minds that keep us from stepping into the fullness of all that he wants to offer in this moment. Did it work? Did what happened in this moment change anything? It changed everything. Because this woman in verse 28 says, the woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said unto the men, notice, this is a woman who doesn't really deserve an opinion, can't tell the truth, can't own land, can't vote, a woman who had no reason to have any influence or to express anything comes back and says to the men, I think probably without hesitation, she says, come see a man who told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And we know what happens by reading the rest of the chapter. They came to see and they finally say, we don't believe anymore because of what she said. We believe because what she, when she brought us here, we now see for ourselves and believe in the one who has come to tell us all things. And it says Jesus stayed with them for several days, began a revival in her community because she had an ability and a willingness to lay down those feelings of rejection that the world had told her, her family had told her, her friends had told her, and to accept something that he was going to give her in place of the rejection, a drink of water that she could drink and never thirst again. But he knew until she dealt with the rejection, she would never take the drink. He knows today that until we deal with how we see us, how you perceive yourself, you will never step into the fullness of what he has for you. It won't happen. Whatever labels your parents gave you, grandparents might have given you, friends or family members might have said of you that made something stick until it's dealt with. It won't change the fact that he loves you and he sees you as important and he says you're worthy. But he doesn't want us to just hear it. He wants us to receive it because it will change our lives. What would happen this morning if in the place of your uncertainty there was faith? What if in the place of your rejection there was full acceptance by the King of Kings? Someone who could tell you honestly and truthfully, you matter. I don't care what anybody says. I value you. I tell you this morning, I look around this congregation and I see people who have believed this who have recognized about themselves and said, I'm not gonna believe that stuff anymore that the world has told me. I'm going to believe what God tells me about me. To tell me that I'm remarkable in His sight, that I'm beautiful as He holds me in His hands, that I am honor and truth and goodness and mercy. I'm going to believe it. The world may be telling me that I'm worthless, but I'm going to believe what God says when he told me, I loved you so much that I sent my only son to die in your place, to give you not only eternal life, but life everlasting. That's what I think of you. 
I'm telling you, God sees you as worthy. He doesn't see the brokenness. He sees all that you can be. He sees the possibility. He's determined to love you to the point of discovery. If not today, he won't change his mind. He's going to love you until you figure it out. Lord, we thank you this morning for this simple change in the story. But what a profound one. You weren't dealing with her sin. You were dealing with her shame. You were dealing with her rejection. You were dealing with that one thing that you knew would keep her from drinking that water. You didn't want to embarrass her. You wanted her to know that you saw her, valued her, loved her. You wanted the disciples to know the same thing. This is how we value the people with whom we minister and to whom we minister. This is what they're worth. This is what I say about them. I don't care what culture has done. I don't care what culture has said. This is how I feel. This is what I think about this woman who was scorned. This woman who had been rejected. Lord, I know in this sanctuary this morning that there are many who are carrying some portion of this story. They're carrying some part of this same heart that this woman carried, both men and women, believing that they have so much against them with their guards up and the defense is ready to make sure no one gets to do it again. No one gets to hurt them again. But I pray, Lord, this morning that this would be a day by the simple reality of what you did with her, that you would do it here to deal with those very private things, only private to us, very well known by you, that hinder us from taking that drink of water, from hinder us from stepping into the fullness of all that you have. You want to deal this morning with that which is broken. Lord, we, with all our heart, give you permission in faith. In Jesus' name. Let the Holy Spirit do in this moment, in these moments, what only he can do. Let him speak. Let him bring the change. Let him move you if it's time to move. Let him do in you and through you. So that nothing happens here that will be artificial. Pretend. Let the Spirit move you in this moment. He has a great desire. Change your story today. In Jesus' name, amen.